and welcome back to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, everyone. It's been a long time. I'm your host, Carl. Now, today we've got a special episode with one of our in-house clinicians, Cheyenne. We'll meet him shortly. Now, quick apology. I am suffering from god-awful hay fever, so if I'm coughing, spluttering, or more nasally than usual, that is why, so my apologies. Shan, welcome to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, mate. Thank you for having me. Now, Shan, before we get down uh, and deep into ADHD, tell us a quick overview. Who are you? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, well, I'm Shan. Um, I have been a bloke probably nine months. Um, probably been a, a psych for... Well, I've only, only been registered for about two years now, but obviously I was a probie before that, um, a school psych and an assessment psychologist before that. Um, and a youth worker, so I've kind of been around neurodiversity a, a bunch, I guess, as well. And, I mean, yeah, that, I guess that's that's made my career. That's Shan in a nutshell. Yeah. Early career psych, who is now with us full-time in our Hawthorne Clinic. Now, you mentioned a word there that we'll come back to, neurodiversity. But before we dive into that, yeah. give us the quick overview. What is ADHD? Um, that is a good question. It, well... I guess if we look at it from, you know, what, we, what we've kind of learned at uni, the, the diagnostic criteria is actually quite narrow. So it's essentially, if we look at it, it just sounds like, oh, okay, someone can't focus or they have trouble sitting still when it, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that. It's a good way to kind of look at it is it's, it's, an, it's a, there's differences with kind of self-regulation more or less, right? Um, there's kind of differences with these things called executive functioning. So they're like those like complex little mental processes basically that help us go from point A to point B. So they involve things like inhibiting behavior or focusing on long-term goals or um, having just goal-oriented speech, emotional regulation, planning, problem solving. Um, and when we have differences in, in those things, you know, we kind of experience some of those you know, difficulties with inattention or hyperactivity, I guess, as well. Um, but, you know, there's there's a bunch of kind of little nuanced, I guess, areas that when you kind of see um, an ADHD, I guess, as well, you can kind of pick up on that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So ADHD, just to clarify, is much more than just being the class clown or being unable to concentrate like I think a lot of people would assume. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, I think, as, especially now, I think we've realized that it can be more of an internal state i guess as well so when we even when we assess it it can look like you know someone having multiple streams of thought or you know um you know having short bursts of attention even it's not so much that you don't have attention it's just that you know ability to regulate that attention can be split between you know 20 different things which in a way uh, makes me think of that term that adhd often gets referred to as it can be a superpower yeah can you speak to that yeah, well, I think um, there's definitely, obviously, and even the research, I guess, has kind of shown us that there are positives to it. So I think it was problem solving um, has been a strength of someone with ADHD as well, or being creative with problem solving, sorry. But there's also this idea of having almost hyper-focus. So it's very all or nothing, you know, you that you either have a lot of trouble staying focused on a task or you can kind of go 100% on this task and kind of deep dive. I think we've had like 100 conversations you know, about some random part of psychology that I've just like dove into overnight. Um, so that that's probably, um, you know, 
that's probably like a perfect example, I guess, of that. And I, I can I can think of a lot of clients that I've had over years that that hyper focus really enables them to be really successful in whatever their chosen field is. But it's not until I suppose that inability to juggle multiple things or the emotional regulation becomes problematic that they actually end up in a, a psychologist or psychiatrist's office. Yeah, and emotional regulation is kind of. Um, that's probably a really important point actually is that emotional regulation even though it's not in our diagnostic criteria it's it's a really key element to ADHD you might hear, hear that it, it's all over TikTok as well is that rejection sensitivity dysphoria it's basically this um, dysphoria comes from the Greek word it's like difficult to bear so the whole idea is that individuals with ADHD have you know they experience this kind of intense emotional pain when they kind of experience rejection huh. Say that again. It was intense rejection dysphoria. Uh, rejection sensitivity oh, dysphoria. I have not heard of that term. Yeah. So it's this this idea that, you know, when you experience rejection, you experience it at like a really intense level, basically. Right. And you mentioned that's going around TikTok at the moment. Well, it's been going around for probably, probably a while. I think um, ADHD and TikTok has just been like, well, ADHD specifically in talk, TikTok, sorry, has been kind of blowing up over the last few years, I guess, as, as well. So whilst you bring that up, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about because we did an Instagram Live yesterday uh, on our bloke's Instagram page. And one thing we got talking about very quickly was the, the social media videos, reels, TikTok videos that often attribute most things to ADHD. Oh, you struggle to concentrate or like you said, yeah. the rejection sensitivity oh, must be ADHD which I've had clients, and I think you have as well, we, we've spoken about, yeah. whereby those videos are the things that have actually ended, uh, resulted in them seeking help. Yeah. But I wonder, do you think it's a pro? Is it a con? What are your thoughts on those videos? Because there's, there's very different opinions. I think for, in, you know, for the most part, I think it's actually really positive. I think it's, it's great when we're able to kind of spread awareness of, of just say, neurodiversity in, in general. Um, and helping people become more aware of just the subtleties, I guess, of having ADHD. Um, at the same time, though, I guess as as well, um, you know, it a lot of people kind of just seek out the diagnosis as um, as I guess a way of being accepted, I guess as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, I guess, that's not necessarily a bad thing either, but. Obviously, obviously, there's a there's a number of different things that could explain these challenges that you're having. It's not necessarily just ADHD. Um, you know, it's. I remember having a supervisor that said that ADHD is, you know, it's a it's a it's a condition. I guess of when you're assessing it anyway, it's a it's a condition of exclusion, right? Because depression, anxiety, learning differences, autism, uh, just not eating enough fiber like all these kind of things can lead to troubles with like inattention i guess as well Mm. so you really have to kind of rule out all these things when you're when you're looking for adhd well because a lot of the uh, i guess as we would call it as clinicians symptoms of adhd also show up in a lot of other diagnosis or mental health issues like you said the inability to concentrate but also emotional regulation impulsivity uh, so yeah, as you said, the, those videos could could resonate with somebody and think make them think, "Wow, I have ADHD," but really it could be twenty other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I mean, and there's 
as a real positive to people wanting help and wanting to understand you know their own brain style i guess we can we can call it but you know we have to kind of take the right precautions i guess when we're looking at at this diagnosis definitely now one thing i definitely wanted to ask you about shan because uh the reason why i think we we ended up deciding yes we want to talk about this on our podcast is not only are you a clinician with expertise in adhd but you also have a lived experience of adhd yourself yeah so correct me if i'm wrong you've recently been diagnosed in the past 12 months so it's been interesting because so basically um it was uh i worked as an admin assistant with a ed dev psychologist when i was first year uni and i was just making a bunch of silly mistakes i was kind of forgetting to get payments and stuff and she kind of brought it up to me this this idea of like she's like i think you have adhd and instantly in my mind i was like what no um like i can sit still um so i'm not that kidding class yeah i'm not that kidding class i wasn't like running around or like throwing things at people um but yeah so it was something that was brought up to me then and she continued to kind of flag it with me um i I worked with her for a few years and it was only probably uh, start of last year actually that it was officially diagnosed okay yeah so i have so many questions on that but, but i suppose one that comes to mind is when you look back throughout your adolescent, your teenage years, years at school, now you know you have ADHD. When you look back, did you notice that anything was different in the way in which your brain functioned to your peers? Were there challenges you experienced at the time, but you didn't realize why or how? Yeah, well, the big thing for me was that idea of, you know, regulating that attention because everyone always talks about, you know, even with like homework and stuff, it's like, oh, I just, I couldn't do my homework. I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I, you know, I was watching YouTube videos or, you know, I was on Facebook, um, you know, till midnight basically. So I just thought this was kind of a normal thing. Um, But if you look, if I looked back on, you know, adolescence in primary school, I would not take in anything the entire time I was at school and come home and basically have to just reteach myself everything that I've learned during the day. Um, so it's a real, like, it, it was weird. It was, um, like having the diagnosis was like, you know, it, it was, it was this weird thing. Like I was putting on glasses for the first time, like everything really became clear and I really like understood what was kind of going on for me. Wow. Yeah. So n- no, there were definitely signs, I think. And what was the diagnosis process like for you? How did you end up receiving the diagnosis? So I went to a psychologist to essentially the process of getting an ADHD diagnosis for an adult anyway um, is basically a bunch of, bunch of interviews basically. They'll ask you a bunch of questions about childhood and, you know, what your current challenges look like. Um, you know, you fill out some, some questionnaires about executive functioning um, sometimes they look at school reports. Um, so I did that with the psychologist and then that diagnosis was confirmed by a psychiatrist as well. What was the catalyst though? I know you mentioned in that admin job you had somebody say to you point blank, yeah. hey, you've got ADHD, which you know we could talk about, but I'll resist that. Yeah. But what was the catalyst recently that actually mm. made you go through that process? Um, I think, uh, so my before I was working at Blokes, I was essentially a assessment psychologist. So... Um, my job essentially was when kids were having challenges, basically, 
um, parents would bring them in um, and I'd run a, do a bunch of assessments and try and work out what was kind of going on for them, basically. And, you know, we the idea of a psychologist is, you know, we, we think it's like this... You know this this wise old person that you know can read someone's mind and that that wasn't really my job it was more like okay well this person's having challenges why basically um and in that job there you know there was adhd was something i, I guess i got exposed to a lot um and it on reflection i guess that's what kind of you know motivated me to get that diagnosis okay and since you've been formally diagnosed yeah what happens now? What happens once somebody's diagnosed? Yeah. Um, well, so I guess it depends on the road that they want to kind of go down. Um, so obviously some people take the medication route. Some people, you know, even with medication, they, they see a psychologist and work on some strategies to manage um, manage some of these challenges, challenges sorry, <laughs> that, they're, that they're having. Um, so it really just kind of depends what... Everyone's kind of different, I guess, on... The way that they kind of want to approach it and what what option have you taken um so i took um both basically so i've continued obviously to see my own therapist um i've gone down the medication right as well um so i've i'm doing them both basically okay yeah and i hope you don't mind me asking i'm, I'm curious because i know a lot of people listening will be very intrigued to hear so what impact has medication had for you you described earlier that 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 anecdote of being at school getting home realizing shit I, I don't remember anything that i was learned yeah. or taught at school so i've got to cram and almost use that hyper focus to uh, yeah. learn everything that i should have learned um at home so what difference has medication made to your life i think um i use that kind of metaphor i guess of wearing glasses for the first time as well um just before and it it is kind of that it, it's really bizarre that you know i can because <laughs> that you can kind of function basically a whole day without being completely gassed for example like um so for example we did a um like a training workshop obviously this this week um and that's it was about probably eight hours a day kind of thing and i was actually able to, to do that workshop which is something pre-medication that i would have never been able to do without completely just destroying all my cognitive processes so is that because so, so you did a training course this mm. week, three days a week, yeah. uh, three days of eight hours, yeah. um, learning a new therapy. It's yeah. information overload. If you weren't on medication, then you would have found that uh, what almost sensory overload, inability to retain the information. I just uh, probably all of the above. Okay. Um, the the kind of the physical process, obviously, of just sitting still. I think for for that long would have been. Uh, overwhelming but the actual like just taking in the information there's that whole we have i forgot what the theory is called i think it's cognitive load theory basically is that our our working memory has it, it has limits basically um and and that's something i think i kind of relate to like my my brain just kind of has a limit of how much i can kind of take in especially you know when it's dysregulated i guess as well uh-huh. um so pre-medication not a chance basically what strikes me is that you've only received your diagnosis post becoming a registered psychologist yeah. and for anybody out there who might know a psychologist or be even somewhat familiar with the journey you have to do three tertiary courses you have to receive a, a decent mark during your vc or final years of high school 
you managed to grind that all out and achieve that unmedicated, unassisted, unaware that you even had ADHD? I think, um, yeah, uh, it was a lot of work. So it's, it's definitely like, you know, it's something that you can probably manage um, without a medication. If um, I mean, everyone's different, but it's something I could have probably managed without medication. But the cost of doing so is, for me anyway, was like utter burnout, basically. Like uh, I would go to uni, come back, have to study some more, um, basically have to do a bunch of work on the weekend as well because I wasn't really taking in anything. Anyone that kind of knows me personally, like exam times was just like, I would just shut myself off from the world and have to just like focus just on that. Um, so it was, it was a lot of grinding, basically. Um, so it sounds as though you had to work 10 times harder to, uh, yeah. to, to get where you needed to be than yeah. peers. Oh, I, yeah, for sure. Like I, it, was, it was something that I had to kind of push myself to, to do. Did you, just to go back to that, that um, reflection in terms of your schooling where you, you felt like at school you wouldn't learn anything, you'd have to do stuff on weekends. Were there ever moments where you did sort of feel not as good as everybody else as a result or, or you started to wonder like, what the hell is actually wrong with me? Oh, like a hundred percent. And I think it's, it's something that my parents probably picked up on, um, that there was something probably going on because they kind of threw tutors at me as well. So I was really lucky in that sense that we, we, I was in a kind of position where that could actually happen. Um, but hundred percent, like, yeah, I, I felt, I felt different, but I also, I think the big thing, and I, it's something that I've kind of realized, especially working with adult ADHD is there's this real kind of theme of defectiveness basically, um, is this, this idea that, you know, you're, you are almost like operating at a different wavelength to everyone else. And it, and it makes you, you know, and you're not really sure why when you don't have that diagnosis, I guess, either. So then you, that, that idea of defectiveness, well, therefore I must just not be good enough. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, that's what the research kind of shows us as well is that ADHD is, the, the comorbidities kind of with mood disorders is like sky high. Yeah. And, and as you start to sort of look at the complexities of ADHD, you can see easily why yeah. the, the comorbidities with mood disorders, but also things like anxiety. So, so tell us a bit about that because that's one thing, even as a clinician at times, it is difficult to differentiate between high anxiety because if somebody's yeah. highly anxious, of course they're going to struggle to concentrate. Of course they're going to struggle to multitask. Of course they're going to struggle to emotionally regulate, regulate themselves. But all those things are prevalent in ADHD as well. What, yeah. Why do you think those two are so closely linked and how do you differentiate between the two? I think if, you know, when, when you're having these you know, challenges with exec- executive functioning, sorry. And, you know, they're creating such a, like, functional impairment, I guess, in your life. I think it's pretty normal to feel pretty anxious about about things and, and worrying about, oh, no, like, am I have I forgot something? What bad thing's going to happen here? Anxiety, anyway, is this kind of cognitive appraisal of risk and we, we feel like our internal resources aren't kind of equipped to, to adequately deal, basically. And with someone with an ADHD diagnosis, there are certain situations when you're like, oh shit, like, I don't know if I can deal with this. Like your, your brain isn't just, it isn't ready for that basically. And that, you know, there are things that you can, you know, do awesome. Um, but there are challenges that need to be supported, I guess, as well. And a question off the cuff that just, I was thinking as you, you explained that really well with anxiety, 
there's also a high comorbidity um, between ADHD and substance use or, or any sort of addictive behavior. Why is that, do you think? I think it's that, that whole idea of kind of chasing the chasing the dopamine. I, I'm, it's, it's something that I'm still probably trying to work out and probably something I need to upskill in, I guess, as, as well. But, it's, you know, there's that whole idea that, you know, you, you are chasing stimulation, right? Um, and certain substances obviously are able to able to do that and then on the flip side of that as as well you know any sort of problematic addiction any problematic behavior basically has a function um so it's about you know is that you know is that um you know substance is it helping them deal with what's kind of going on for them Mm. so it can be chasing the the dopamine hit so to speak yeah um but also, I, I suppose it could be self-medication because there's various types of medication that would, uh, uh, not, not, not treat by any means, but reduce the problematic symptoms of ADHD, like yeah. the inability to regulate. Yeah, I found a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the guys especially that I've, I've worked with is a big one that always comes up is gambling and, um, and even video game addiction, actually. Um, is that and it makes sense because it's constantly just kind of stimulating and um, just ping 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 yeah ping, ping. like there, there are no periods when you know or oh, I'm sure there are but you know that most of the time you are highly stimulated and it is this kind of big kind of adrenaline rush and one thing that comes to mind too is um, when I used to do a bit of forensic work and in speaking to some of the psychs who work in that space that statistic, which I'm sure you might have heard before, gets thrown around that sort of 40 to 50, even 60% at times is estimated uh, 6% of the prison population is undiagnosed ADHD, which I suppose really when you step back and think about it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. If you've got uh, inability to regulate your emotions uh, and you're put in certain situations that depending on your upbringing and who you are, that that's going to lead to some pretty... pretty uh, detrimental outcomes whether it be drug use violence and or all of the above yeah yeah no absolutely like it i mean and it makes sense if you're not understanding who you are and this is kind of going on for you it can lead to um, and you are having these challenges it can lead to some you know to some really harsh negatives what causes adhd because i know this is often a, a contentious topic a lot of people claim now there's there's a strong link between childhood trauma and ADHD, which I'm not hugely familiar with the literature, but I know there's yeah. probably a correlation there. Yeah. But then I also think even with some of my own clients, that's not always the case. Do, yeah. they, do they have a any sort of clear sense on what causes us or is it a bit of, a, <laughs> I, bit of everything? I, I think it is a bit, of, a bit of everything. I think what we're kind of quite... I think what we're comfortable with now is that um, ADHD is essentially your nervous system and your brain type is just is wired differently um i think that's more or less what we're most comfortable with right now there's but basically the the literature is um from my understanding anyway there's nothing kind of concrete just yet Mm -hmm. and is that uh, your brain being wired differently is that what you mean by neurodiversity because we hear this word a lot essentially yeah so neurodiversity is this this whole like neurodiversity and neuroaffirmative practice i guess um is this whole idea that differences it's a difference not a deficit um so and it's something that i guess that i'm still trying to 
incorporate coming from the disability sector it's something that we don't really focus on is being affirming um but essentially we view adhd and even things like um, even sorry other facets of neurodiversity like autism as its own kind of culture rather than a deficit um so you know for example if i'm just trying to so if if i brought in my like chin biryani from my mum's place right it's not like the other lads in the office are going to give me shit for it um because that it's just different it's just a different cultural kind of experience well I'd probably but, be jealous if it yeah. is <laughs> um depends if i'm cooking it or not but um but yeah like i guess and that's the same way we need to start to view kind of autism and adhds it is it is a difference and you know the way that they kind of view the world um is is different but it's not wrong um, so rather than kind of viewing it as a very medical kind of model, essentially, rather than trying to treat it per se, it's about creating accommodations in, in the environment to support that. Because you bring up such a good point. You don't treat ADHD, do you? You don't treat things like autism. That, that implies you can cure them, right? And, yeah. and make them go away. But as you're saying, they're not, they're not deficits. They're just differences in the way your brain operates to mine. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's no real reason i guess to to treat it i guess either and that was something i think i found when i was working in the disability sector is that some like some of the things that we learned you know like social skills training and that kind of thing i was wondering why like it, it wasn't really working and it always came down to oh the kid doesn't want to do that or you know the client doesn't want to do that and of course they don't like <laughs> we're kind of forcing our own agenda on these people so that raises uh, the point of, you mentioned earlier, once you receive a diagnosis of yeah. ADHD, people can go down the route of medication and therapy. They might opt for just medication. They yeah. might opt for just therapy for a variety of reasons. Uh, if you opt to go th- down the route of therapy, either with or without medication, yeah, what are you doing? Essentially, it's... Um, especially um, from... From my work, I guess, as a clinician, the the big thing that I kind of focus on is obviously um, is managing kind of emotional regulation, basically. So, you know, how are you going to how are you going to, you know, regulate yourself when you are feeling heightened, when you are experiencing a bit of sensory overload? There is a lot of, you know, self-care work. There's a lot of little kind of techniques that we use to to manage some of these challenges with executive functioning. and a bit, the big thing I think that I always crap on to all my clients and they, you know, they probably hate me for it, but, but is a lot of having a lot of kind of self-compassion for yourself. It's really easy when you forget about, you know, to hand in your uni assignment or you forget about an appointment or, you know, you, you just take ages to, to learn this new concept from school is to, you know, shit talk yourself basically. And that's probably something we need to manage. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of the approach I take, I guess. And obviously it's a bit more complicated than that, but in a nutshell, I guess. So it's not only just, I suppose, strategies to manage your self-regulation and also, um, uh, you know, I'm thinking of some of the clients I've had, you know, whether it be to-do lists or, or various strategies yeah. to manage how they learn and retain information. But also you mentioned something really important, self-compassion. Uh, and I guess that almost leads to acceptance, doesn't it? That yeah. you, know, you're, you can't compare yourself to all your peers in some ways because your brain does operate differently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, you know, 
and and it's always you know something that that probably takes a bit of time depending on when the person was diagnosed and what their view of neurodiversity is um but that's kind of the the end goal is kind of to to help them accept this diagnosis it doesn't have to be a uh, doesn't have to be a burden um there like we have definitely talked about the challenges just over the last little bit but there are you know there are positives so i i wouldn't be the psychologist i am today without my without my adhd basically uh without that ability to kind of go zero to a hundred on the most random things um and have that creativity in my approach to therapy i wouldn't be here basically so there are positives to it um it doesn't have to be you know this this big kind of like death sentence essentially that some people view it to be um and it's about helping people understand that i guess is that one of the biggest challenges is getting clients to identify and connect with the very real pros of an adhd diagnosis i think so and obviously it's you know it everyone presents kind of differently so some people their challenges are going to be a lot harder basically um but yeah that absolutely is the challenge the thing that I think I find the most challenging is kids um, or even adults are okay. It's it's more helping parents, I think, understand it. I think when people come in with preconceived notions about neurodiversity and their understanding of it, I think that can be difficult to shift sometimes. Is that sort of the, the uh, mum or dad might come in with their own view of what ADHD means if their child does have it and trying to shift that and work with that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that can be that can be pretty tricky. Like when you bring it up and they dismiss it straight away. Um, like Dismiss oh, no. the diagnosis straight away. Yeah, or dismiss even the idea of that the, there's something else kind of going on. And that, I suppose that really highlights what you were talking about earlier, the, the deficit, the way the society does or traditionally has viewed ADHD as, as a deficit and I'm assuming those parents are not their fault but subscribing to that aren't they that no no, no my kid doesn't have ADHD yeah. because if they do it means A, B, C, D yeah and I it, it's interesting that I guess we, we bring it up because in in my like even when we were planning this podcast I was like maybe I don't have ADHD what happens if I just like jump on the podcast and then I'm like Oh, you know, I find it later like, oh, I don't know it. But, <laughs> but what um, I think what that is, is that I'm just used to um, it's that kind of external views about ADHD. That's kind of just the, like being stuck in my head, basically. It's kind of bled into my own self-talk. And now I'm kind of saying that as well. Wow. Um, which is a little bit profound, I guess, as well. But it's, yeah, like I think. I always tell parents, I guess, as well, when they're going through an assessment is what would X, Y, Z, what would this diagnosis mean to you? And what would it mean to your you know, son, daughter, whatever? Because um, it's really important is to highlight like, you know, this, this could really help someone mm. basically. Um, and it's important to, to recognize if you're not wanting to even, if you're dismissing it, are you doing it for, for them or are you doing it for you? Yeah. And I can imagine that can be extremely difficult with some parents. Yeah, and understand, understandably so. Um, and it's a, it's a really kind of tricky conversation, I guess, to, to have sometimes as well. Is ADHD overdiagnosed, in your opinion? Because I recall, especially when I was at school, there was, I think it was largely coming out of 
the U.S. with the overprescribing or alleged overprescribing of meds uh, in the U.S. for the pharmaceutical companies pushing Ritalin uh, down every kid's throat. That was the the, yeah. the the mantra at the time. Do you think it's overdiagnosed? I think no. Um, I think that the ADHD guidelines that have just come out have probably shown us that it is a bit more of a comprehensive process. Um, and you know, the, the psychologists and psychiatrists, I guess, that are that are assessing are doing a pretty comprehensive job to to make sure that it is adhd mm-hmm. um and i i think the you know adhd has become a bigger thing over the last couple of years because of social media and people becoming more aware so it's not necessarily that it's that's overdiagnosed i think it's just people becoming more aware and i think the the research has shown us that you know people that identify as as female and and adults anyway are actually underdiagnosed you know there's a lot of a lot of people are just coming out now going, oh, hang on, this this makes sense. This is what I'm kind of experiencing. Why do you think females in particular are uh, undiagnosed, especially? Is it a way in which it manifests in females? Is it the way in which social norms we expect females to behave and it's not noticed as much? What, what, what do you think that's yeah, about? I think it's probably a bit of both. I think it's, we, you know, like, it's more of an internal experience, I guess, for a lot of... Um, a lot of people a lot of females with with ADHD it's it's that kind of you know your train of thought is you know kind of well it, it kind of bounces kind of all, all over the place and that, that is there is that hyper focus and the hyperactivity isn't necessarily you know running around the classroom per se it, it's it can be you know that that really chatty person that that doesn't seem to just be quiet basically and and will jump from topic to topic to topic to topic basically um, so it is, um, it is more of that, I guess, mm-hmm. as well. The other thing is, you know, individuals with, with high intelligence also are able to mask really easily. So you, often we find that there'll be, you know, people that, that were able to kind of cope during primary school. And then as the workload starts to bump up during high school, that's when the difficulties really start to kick off. Mm. Um, so it is able to something that ca- can be masked, I guess, a little bit as well. And I'm just thinking about the the difference in how it, ma- it, it again, everybody's different, but how generally speaking, it would manifest in boys and girls in a primary school setting. As you said, you might have the, uh, we, this is a gross generalization, but you might have the uh, very talkative girl, but a boy on the cl- in the same class with ADHD is probably can't, sit still can't can't sit in his seat he's bugging the crap out of his mates he's up every two seconds so he gets identified more than the female yeah and that it was actually something that i was trying to think about as well is my hyperactivity as a kid was so so subtle it was things like i would always ask the teacher to go and get a drink of water um because i couldn't sit still it was things like i would continue to like offer people pencils like i would walk around the classroom and give it was like that kind of thing so you almost you almost your hyperactivity almost manifest in a in a socially acceptable way in the classroom yeah yeah to to a degree i think other kids definitely found it and that's obviously another massive challenge of adhd is the social difficulties but other kids definitely was were like what is this kid doing man this guy just keeps giving pencils away what's wrong with this kid (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like it it was like incredibly subtle like it it wasn't and, and i guess that's the whole 
that kind of internal experience that we're kind of talking about is that it it isn't I wasn't necessarily the kid that was really loud I definitely wasn't but was like running around the classroom and and screaming and you know um so my hyperactivity wasn't that that's such an important point because because that in itself does highlight the fallacy I suppose of ADHD just being that hyperactive kid who keeps you know annoying the crap out of the teacher or his mates whereas that wasn't you at all no um and it's it's i know in my clinical experience it's not a lot of clients yet that's still how we view it yeah anyways in society yeah and it's um it's it's something that i've had to get supervision on as well even assessing it is we you know the the criteria for adhd is so just like vague basically so one of the questions is like, do you have trouble focusing basically? And it's very easy to go like, yeah, I guess so. Um, but it, it's, it's so much more nuanced, I guess, than that. Um, and you have to be able to ask those, those right questions. Um, Cause yeah, like even, even as a kid, like that wasn't, you know, I, and it, it makes sense why I wasn't diagnosed when I was a kid, because I was one of those kids that just kind of slipped through the cracks. Mm. Whereas if you had have been annoying the crap out of your teacher yeah. in a way that wasn't constructive, not just asking for water breaks, yeah. you probably would have got picked up very early on. Yeah. You? Well, I was one of the kids that in like in parenting interviews, um, my, my teachers would always, always be like, oh, he has to apply himself more. He's really shy. And I was. I was pretty shy. But um, it was more because I was like daydreaming about, I don't know, Pokemon or something. Like, And I'm like, oh, like I can't wait to go you know play video games with my mates after school it was it was that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and that was why i wasn't paying attention to the trigonometry or whatever we were learning wow so uh, i know we started talking about females but even in males adhd can be much more subtle than yeah, our uh, stereotypical image of it yeah tell me just going back to the conversation we had earlier about um ADHD not necessarily being a deficit that there are pros to it it just occurred to me that that the diagnosis itself attention deficit disorder do you think we're going to see a uh, change in how they label yeah well that's um, they we haven't found a good identity first I think name for it yet so mm-hmm. Rather than using the the term like ASD, we we say autistic individual or autistic um, person, whatever they feel most comfortable with. But ADHD is not someone that we found a good name for. I think um, we're starting to use the term just you know people, um, other psychologists anyway, neuroaffirming psychologists. They they use the word ADHD. Um, ADHD. Uh, yeah. Um, not like the cleanest. Um, mm. Not the cleanest, most identity first. Um, name but you know it, i guess it works um i've heard people want to call it self-regulation condition or something um so there's a bunch of different names but you know it it isn't yeah it, that deficit is deficit focused language is definitely something that's still there mm. and and you mentioned uh, asd tell us this is one of the questions from our instagram live yesterday as well tell us a bit about uh the overlap between ADHD and ASD, which is autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. Um, so you, obviously when, when you're autistic, you can, you have your own communication style. So you have, you know, differences with, you know, reciprocal, 
what we classify as reciprocal kind of interaction and nonverbal language and maintaining friendships. Um, so there are those social differences, I guess, as well. Um, and when you have ADHD and you have difficulties with regulation, you can also experience those difficulties. AD, um, autism is more, this is my own communication style, um, whereas ADHD is more, I'm having trouble regulating myself. So something if, even my partner's kind of complained about is when there's an idea in my head, I have to vomit it out. It doesn't matter what she's about to say. So <laughs> in a really serious conversation, I'd be like, oh, this happened at work today. And she'd be like, what are you doing right now? So... Because it, it just came out of just, nowhere. Just came out of nowhere. Mm. Um, it's it's there's no mental breaks in my brain. It just kind of goes. Um, but that's yeah. That, they are very similar, and they occur, I guess, really highly together as well sometimes. Um, so there there are there are similarities. There are there are differences though as well. Well, as you said, even with the the social stuff uh, from the external, it could look the same but it's a different driver. It's a different reason for the difficulty engaging in social behavior or regulation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, as far as, you know, I guess we understand it. One is a communication style, you know, an individual communication style and one is regulation. If somebody's listening to this, which I'm sure there will be many who listen to this, uh, for their own personal interest, either because they, have wondered themselves if they ever had ADHD or a friend or a loved one in their life uh, potentially might display some of the symptoms that we're seeing on TikTok. What would your advice be to anybody listening who resonates with your journey with what you're talking about in terms of ADHD? They've never sought medical or psychological support for it. What's that first step? Um, well, the, I guess the, the first, probably the, the first step is to have that conversation with yourself really is, you know, it, basically what we've just been crapping on about is it, it, it isn't, um, it doesn't have to be a deficit. No one's going to view you any differently. You have, you have differences. They, they just need to be supported. They don't have to be a big weakness, I guess as well. Um, and from there, then you take the steps. So you go to, um, you know, you go to your GP, get a referral to a psychologist or a psychiatrist um and come, now just to interrupt you I, yes. I hate to interrupt you but this is where it can get tricky for uh clients because they say well do i need a psychologist or i need a psychiatrist and even for psychologists it's not exactly a straightforward path to suggest to yeah. clients so is there if you're seeing your gp and you're thinking right i want to get a referral to suss out this adhd thing see if it is uh, a thing for me um is there certain situations where they should go the psychiatry route first or the psychologist route first? Or what's your advice on that? I think, um, and this is something that I think we're still trying to work out probably our, ourselves as professionals, is there isn't really like a gold standard. There isn't like a like an amazing kind of pathway that in which psychiatrists and psychologists are kind of working together just yet. Um, what, I'd, what I'd say is, you know, if I guess... If medication is the, the, the kind of road you want to go down um, and you can find a, a psychiatrist that probably is neuroaffirming and, you know, understands ADHD really well, maybe it is worth kind of going going to them first if you're you're wanting to, um, and especially just being cost-effective, I guess, as well, is to just go there first. If there are other complexities, so, you know, um, like learning differences or even giftedness or intellectual disability, autism, all that, um 
as well, maybe it is worth going to a psychologist first to, to undergo a comprehensive assessment before you go down and see the psychiatrist. So I suppose to summarise that, if if there's a high suspicion that you do have ADHD, you want a yes-no response, see your psychiatrist to begin with. Yeah. However, if, if you're really unsure, so you struggle, maybe your child's struggling at school, it could be ADHD, it could be... Uh, an array of things yeah. auditory processing issues processing speed issues uh, intellectual disability you'd probably be better off seeing a psychologist to get a full what we call cognitive assessment so it can pick up if there is any other things and or ADHD going on yeah just um, I think if, if you're if you're suspecting that there's other things um, other things at play here um, it, it is a good idea kind of undergoing the full kind of comprehensive assessment just to rule out other things as well and I suppose I'll weigh in here too. My, whilst I'm not an ADHD expert in any by any stretch, my advice always with this is, uh, of course, I'm biased being a psych, but go to your psych first, even if they're not going to do the full cognitive assessment, because then you've at least got that uh, support. And even if you only attend a few sessions just to assist you with, if you do get a diagnosis for a psychiatrist, they're going to give you the meds and out you go. Uh, whereas at least then you can come back to your psychologist and actually work through, well, what does that diagnosis mean? Like all the things we were talking about earlier, what implications does that have on my life? How can now I'm, I'm taking the medication and I'm seeing the world through the new glasses you spoke about. How can I maximize that? And what do I need to be aware of? And wow, when I look back on the last 10, 20 years, like how do I process all of that going shit? I was thought I was just deficient, but really my brain just operates differently. Yeah. I think, um, and it's something I tell all the parents when I'm doing assessments at blokes as well is, you know, it's not about a yes, no response. It's, it's about understanding what's kind of going on, understanding the differences and how can we best support the differences? Cause that's the end goal. It's, it's not about, oh, here, here's a, here's a label. It's about, okay, what, are, what what's the game plan? What are we going to do next? Um, and that is, I mean, and that's a kind of a, a job in, as an assessment psychologist is not just to give you a, you know, a label is to understand okay what are we doing next such a good point it's not just a diagnosis and there's the meds and off you go it's not as simple as that is it no any parting words Shan anything else we haven't touched on in the world of ADHD your journey anyone who's listening to this obviously has a special interest in ADHD for some reason or another anything else you want to say to them no I, I think um, I think we've covered most of it but I think you know, if you, you know, if you, if, if you suspect, I guess, that you have a different, you know, brain type or, you know, you suspect neurodiversity, I think in the best thing you, you can probably do is, is to have that conversation with yourself about what is going on here and, and probably take those steps to best support yourself. And the last thing I'll just reiterate that I'm sure you'd agree, Sharon, is that if you're a parent, listening to this and maybe you have shied away from getting your child assessed or tested or even just reading a bit more up on this i'd encourage you to do so because i I even think back to your lived experience which you've been so kind to share with us Cheyenne. that even though for you it worked out you were able to grind it out and find a way to make the differences work sadly a lot of kids aren't so lucky They're, they're not able to do that and early diagnosis means early intervention which can mean if a child gets diagnosed uh, in grade six, year seven, 
that high school can be a completely different experience for them. And even though you got through it, I'm sure if you could turn back time, you probably would have liked to be diagnosed yeah. a lot earlier because your experience would have been a lot different and a lot less distressing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, if we could kind of go back in time and, and, and understand ADHD a little bit better, I think my experience would have been probably a lot easier. No, well, thank you, mate. Thank you for not only sharing your clinical expertise, but uh, I really appreciate, as I'm sure everybody listens to this uh, will, the fact you've been so open, honest, transparent with your own lived experience and uh, journey to diagnosis and being an adhd Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me shit talk. No, pleasure, mate, pleasure. Well, thank you for listening, guys. And the other thing is, Shan's written a fantastic uh, blog on his journey and a little bit about summarizing ADHD and some of his opinions on it. It'll be featured on our website and in the show notes. So please check it out and thank you for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to the Bloke Psychology Podcast, guys. If you want to know any more about the work we do, check out blokepsychology.com.au. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you're not already. There's a bunch of cool content we regularly post there. Check out some of our other podcast episodes. And lastly, if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend. We'll chat to you soon. In the meantime, take care. Yeah, now it's the angel's